Jesus gets a really bad rap. Um, and it's mostly because of people's experience with those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And, um, but when you actually look at the life of Jesus and you study Jesus as a human, it's, it's pretty fascinating. He transcends religion in a sense. This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollinsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt, and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Thank you, James, and I owe you all an apology. Yeah, it's been a while. And uh, I was just looking a few minutes ago when the last episode was that I released, and it was almost a year ago, which is pretty weird because I, you know, on one hand, it does feel like it's been a while. Like doing these shows make me come alive and I've just not had much of that. I don't think anyone really has over this last year. But um, on the other hand, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Like I was thinking maybe five months and not 12. But isn't that COVID, right? Like just time isn't really a thing anymore. It's just... What seems like a year ago was two weeks ago, and what seems like two weeks ago was eight months ago, and vice versa. And so, I just want to apologize because uh, I want to apologize to you guys who listen and have sent me many requests, like why don't you do any episodes anymore? But then I also want to apologize to myself for like denying myself this awesome ability to create cool content and release it. And then I also want to apologize to. I don't know, the universe for for me not being serious about, like, growing, I guess. I don't know. I just feel like it's been a bizarre time. And um, I'll fill you in here. Like, let's talk about where I've been this last year. So uh, what's new? Well, um, I actually wrote a dissertation for a doctorate degree and graduated. So now I'm a doctor. That's kind of fun. Dr. Heath Hollinsby. I don't think I'll change that on any of the advertising for the show. I'll just... It'll be our little secret that it does, you know, it's a title, but it's cool to have this really fancy frame over my desk. I'm looking at it right now and it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's a lot of hard work. So I had to write a giant dissertation that was like 100 and, I don't know, 180 pages, something like that on, uh, on whatever topic I chose to. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what topic that was because I don't want you to judge me. And I might do a show about it in the future. So I don't care if you judge me. I know most of you guys do. Hate is going to hate, in the words of Taylor Swift. Um, so, yeah, so I graduated as a doctor. COVID's happened, right? We all know that. And it's, uh, I think in the last year, it went from being crazy to we might be overcoming something to there's this new variant that's killing our kids faster than ever and everything's shutting down again. And COVID's just been weird. I was I actually been walking every morning and I was telling a friend about this the other day because it feels like there's something in the air. Like there's this sense of when I'm walking, I see these people walking at me and I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So not everyone's like, you know, people do their own thing. They don't really pay attention to others all the time by and large. And so, uh, so sometimes people just will rock, walk right by you on the sidewalk and not even look at you, not even acknowledge your existence. That's just kind of cold. 
but there is this like for the people that have a little bit of compassion um there is this thing that i see in their eyes and it's like this please don't hate me because i really wish we could talk but i'm gonna go walk in the street so i don't have to be close to you because you might have like a deadly virus and so covid's just made things weird and it's disorienting and i don't need to keep talking about that but maybe that's a reason i haven't been on a ton um life's just kind of weird these days um i also did a 40-day water fast all uh I'll talk about that at some point. But I woke up one morning feeling gross and not liking the decisions I've been making when it comes to my eating and my health and just knowing I needed to make a change. And so I literally cold turkey just said, I'm doing a water fast and that looked like no coffee, no tea, no lemon in my water, just pure water, no food, no nothing for 40 days. And I've been doing kind of a vegan thing since then. Um, I don't know, I dabble in dairy. I guess, like, if I see a really good salad, or if I'm just bored with being, like, doing the vegan thing, I'll, like, throw a little cheese on there or something, but I haven't had, I haven't had eaten meat, like, no pork or chicken or anything like that, and I'm feeling good, losing weight, walking every morning five miles before work, so life's good there, no complaints, but, um, that's been kind of some stuff I've been working on while I haven't been recording, and, uh, and then something really cool happened somebody that I care really, really deeply for. And I haven't really talked to this person in, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years, maybe. Yeah, probably pushing 25 years. I mean, we've had conversations like little like, hey, how are you? Hope you're well, that sort of thing. But not like, not much substance to the conversation. Uh, But I really, really, really deeply care about this person. And, um, they had mentioned that they listened to the podcast and I just thought, wow, what a, what an incentive to re-record again, to like fire this thing back up. And so I don't know if I'm going to be good at this, but my, my goal is that I'm um, going to start trying to re- do this again once every week or every two weeks at least. But it, you know, it's like exercise. It's not like you just jump in and do a podcast. People think you just get on a talk and um, some people do, but I don't like, I've got six pages of notes about what I want to talk about today. And it's a lot of prep time and then editing and getting the content out and recording and, you know, doing the bumpers and finding your title slides. And are you going to do show notes? Are you going to write a little blog about it? I mean, it's it's a lot of work to put on a show every week. And so I can't guarantee that I'll do it every single week, but I do feel the guilt of the announcer at the opening, James, when he says we're each week. And I told him to say that because I was really tenacious when this thing started, but that was before COVID. And so I'm going to just blame it on that because I need to, I need to find somebody to blame because I don't want to own it myself because that's embarrassing. So, okay. But yeah, to this person that, that kind of sparked in me a desire to fire these back up. um, I never, I even, you know, it was really humbling too. when I heard that because I never thought this person would take interest in, what I'm doing this much longer after this person was part of my life. And, um, and then to hear like, yeah, I listen to the show. It's just, yeah, it's humbling and beautiful. And I just think it's a really kind gesture. Like, you know, I don't get paid for doing this. This is me sitting in a lonely room after having done hours of research on a topic and thinking maybe somebody out there will, benefit from this or care about this and um 
And then you get these calls and these emails of people going, I live in England and I was, I listen every week to the show and I'm like, geez, how, like how, why, why me? I just, I don't get it. But yeah, that inspired me to write this week. And so I was like, what's the first thing I want to write on? And, uh, and it was, I just thought, why not sum up some thoughts on a book, uh, that I had read a couple years ago and it kind of changed the way I thought about how the greatest communicator arguably in the history of the world talked. So, um, his name was Jesus. Uh, he was a leader or he is a central piece to the Christian religion, though he himself was not a Christian because he didn't even know what that meant at the time. But, um, you know, I would say Jesus is a little different than some other spiritual teachers because Jesus gets a really bad rap. Um, and it's mostly because of people's experience with those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And, um, but when you actually look at the life of Jesus and you study Jesus as a human, it's, it's pretty fascinating. He transcends religion in a sense. He was giving a voice to women 2000 years ago in in a world that did not give them much of anything. And he fought for the underdog and he preferred to hang out with those who drank it a little too much versus those who were, you know, at choir practice every Thursday. And so he's a religious teacher, but I think everyone can learn from him, at least in his communication style. So that's what I was going to talk about today. Uh, Because he's constantly been called one of the greatest teachers of all time. And um, I don't know if he was a teacher because most teachers give answers, right? They don't ask questions. And I felt like Jesus's um, style of teaching was very different than the way that most of us in America now expect to be taught. Yet, it was very familiar to a Jewish style of, of, uh, of teaching. So when you look at recorded scriptures in the holy book of uh, Christianity called the Bible, in the encounters of Jesus, which surmised four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, there's a recorded amount of questions that he asked hitting over 300. So Jesus asked over 300 questions, He's asked 183 questions, and he only answers three of them. And so one of the takeaways there is like maybe asking questions was a lot more important to to Jesus than the answers that he gave. Um, Now, as I mentioned, in, in Jewish teaching, Jewish religious teachers, they're often known for asking more questions and giving answers because that's a pivotal way to learning. In fact, Right at the beginning of COVID, I went to a Jewish uh, synagogue for one of their services. And it was really cool because as you're, as you're listening to this, this teaching and you're watching the people sing and they're doing this really symbolic like dances through the aisles, welcoming the, the Sabbath, it was really neat. But I noticed that their, their teaching book was full of questions, even for the kids. Like, hey, if this happened, what do you think about this? Would this mean this? Why would this happen? Why would Jesus say this? Why would, you know, and so it was just a really cool way of, of like enforcing here in Washington state that the tradition of asking questions is still super alive in the Jewish tradition. And that's what Jesus came from. And we have to remember that. Um, 
And so, yeah, a pivotal way to learning is asking questions, not just having a, an answer or seeking answers. Um, and something that was, you know, something I, I would I would consider is like if Jesus were sent from God, which Christianity would maintain that position, then if he was going to be anything, even shortly remote, uh, like to what Christians have claimed him to be, he probably would have been much better speaker or even communicator or lecturer than he was. Because his teachings were often like really confusing. Even his own like right-hand dudes, the followers, his disciples, didn't know what he was talking about half the time. And there's many instances in, in scripture where Jesus would walk off and his disciples were like, what did that mean? We were just so confused. And they hung out with him all day, every day. Um, the other thing that is sounds like a slam, and I know that people that are steeped in, you know, religion will have a little bit of opposition against this, but as I'm looking through scripture and I'm trying to learn about this communication style of Jesus, it didn't really portray him as being like a very smart guy or incredibly knowledgeable. Like he's, he's not great at math. He doesn't like know how to solve a Rubik's cubes. He's not a scientist. He doesn't have like really amazing medical revelations that are coming out of his mouth. In fact, it almost feels opposite. It seems like, like the, the letters written about Jesus actually go out of their way to present a Jesus who asks questions and who, in a lot of cases, doesn't even know the answers of the questions that are being asked to him. But if you peer under the surface a little bit, you'll see that Jesus wasn't ever really interested in staying on the surface and answering people's questions. He wasn't super interested in telling people what they wanted to hear. I remember there's a there's a teaching in scripture, scripture where somebody uh, the Chang ruler comes up to him and says, "Good teacher, what must I do to be saved?" And to me, that's a pretty pivotal Christian like question. Like when I was raised growing up, how to stay out of hell and how to get into heaven was like, yeah, that's one oh one. I want to learn that first day because if I you know like if I need to get something right, it's where eternity's at. And so. Why not ask Jesus how to do it? If he claims to be the way to God, that's the question I'm going to him with. Like, that's my opening question. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus's response was not, well, do this, this, this. It was like, why do you call me good? It's like this, there's this like lack of self-awareness, um, maybe, or this, you're asking the wrong question, or maybe even an understanding of, I know what you're trying to get from me, and I'm not going to give it to you right now. So let me just kind of play around with this a little bit. He wanted to show people how to look for the answers rather than tell them the answers. And this is troubling in most Christianity because um, I was raised in a world where leaders gave answers to questions. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. You know, Jesus was even different from other uh, historic teachers throughout scripture. Like if you look at Moses, Moses was interested in telling people the laws of God. Now he's Old Testament, pre-Jesus by a couple thousand years. He was, his whole thing was like, I need to communicate what God's laws are to you. If you looked at the prophets, and there's a huge chunk of the Old Testament devoted to them, 
There's many of them, and they all have different angles and different things, different ways of seeing the world. Chances are they were going to tell you what God was saying or what they believed God to be saying. And so they would declare some pretty um, robust, wild things to people in power, things that were unpopular. The the prophets lived a really lonely, sad life because they were constantly getting ran out of cities and pissing people off for speaking honestly. So Moses wanted to tell you the law. Prophets were telling you what God was saying. But it, it seems like if you were to sit at a bar with Jesus, like bartender pours a drink and you walk up and you're like, hey, I'm Heath. And it's like, hey, Jesus here. That he, chances are he was going to ask a lot more questions and tell answers. Um, he seemed just more genuinely interested in the other and I don't, I don't know if that's because he didn't know the answers. You know, he was fully man and fully God, right? Scripture says. And so if you're fully man, you don't really have answers to everything. Um, maybe that was it. Maybe he was just kind of whimsical, like, in the way he responded. But I don't, I don't think his interest, it doesn't seem that looking through Scripture, his interest is like just, like, like Siri answering whatever question you throw at it with just like the, the blatant response of what the, the supposed answer is. Um, and I want to say, side note here, ignorance is not an excuse for doing something wrong. But ignorance, I don't believe to be a sin in itself. Like Jesus doesn't, he wasn't born knowing everything. Like two, two, two minutes out of the womb, it wasn't like, what's the square root of 64,812? And Jesus knew it. So we can't, you know, I think that there's this unfair presumption projected onto Jesus by many people in American Christianity that seem to think that he was just this all-knowing peasant guy lived, born in Bethlehem and trying to figure things out. He, d- he didn't. And so uh, because of that, it's implied that he was able to be taught. He was a lifelong learner. He was asking the questions, even questions like, who do they say that I am? I think he was just trying to get some self-awareness when he's asking his disciples, yeah, but who, who, do, who do they call me? What do they say about me? And then he turns to him and says, and what do you say about me? I think he was actually an inquisitive person that didn't have all the answers. Um, and so for those people that think that Jesus was kind of this endless superhuman encyclopedia, I would suggest that you might be reading things wrong because Jesus admits ignorance and asks a lot of questions. And so again, the side note here is ignorance isn't an excuse for doing something wrong, but it's not a sin in itself. Um, another tactic that Jesus used was parables. Like he spoke in a lot of parables. And something to remember is that for first century common folk, parables were like a natural way of speaking. It might be like the equivalent of, um, I don't know, when you could, maybe when you go to the grocery store and it's like, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. It's like that formality of everyone just does it without thinking about it. And then if you say something like, how are you doing? Like, I'm terrible today. And you get this response on the other end, like it short circuits them because they've never had anyone respond like that. Um, and that's just a way of people going like, yeah, back in 21st century America, people used to do these weird like greetings where they'd say hello and then ask how your day is going good, how your is good, without real intention to it. It's just these formalities or ways of speaking. And so 
Uh, first century common folk, parables were the way of speaking. It was a broad genre, and that phrase could have been used any time that somebody was talking about something figuratively. And there's been this line of thinking um, that it was the only way to speak to common folk, but that's not true, because if his use of parables was an attempt to simplify things for simple people, like to help commoners understand something, he screwed it up a lot. Like I mentioned, like even the point where his closest insiders, the disciples, walked away fighting about what they thought Jesus was talking about. Like that was, and I think, yeah, I think Jesus kind of enjoyed that. Like maybe it was a little bit of like an Irish goodbye where he just say something and go like, I'm out. And the disciples were like, what did that mean? You know, what did that mean? I don't know. What do you think it meant? Well, it meant this. No, it didn't. It meant this. No, it didn't. And Jesus is like on his way to the next scene, kind of with that like smirk in his mouth of like, yeah, I just dropped a bomb and left him and we'll let him figure it out. But he seemed to really enjoy that style of teaching. Um, and so for those who said like, well, he, he always was reaching for the lowest common denominator of thinker. That's just not true because he would have been a lot more clear in his communication if that was the case. Uh, and and parables are meant to provoke a response, and they don't usually end in question marks. It's not like here's the question to wrap it up with a bow. It's usually a statement, but it leads to a lot of questions. Like it's presented in a way that are answered very much like questions. So okay, so in the style of parables, there's these mysteries, and mysteries are very different than secrets. Because with a secret, you're always on the outside. You're, you're never in the know. Somebody's holding a secret. There's information that you're not privy to that keeps you as an outsider to, from engaging. Now, mysteries, on the other hand, you're entangled in the very center of this thing. So secrets are about pieces of knowledge being held, being withheld but mysteries, the concepts are, and the facts, they aren't hidden at all. In fact, they're meant to be observed and played with. And I wonder if this is why some of American Christianity is just so darn boring. Because so many in the, the history of Christianity have missed the target of the purpose of parables by trying to exa- extract information out of it. So, like for instance, there's this, there's this passage. Uh, and, and I'm going to... I want to be fair here and say that I don't think, by and large, this is a problem across the world. I think, by and large, this is a harder thing for Westerners to do because Westerners have to get answers. And so there's a scripture where it talks about um, what I always was told was it was a, a cure for an anxiety you feeling left out, you're feeling down, you feel forgotten about, like, go out and consider the, the, the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. And I always was told, like, oh, that's a great passage to cure anxiety. And I think it might just be a command to, like, just literally just get out and be in nature. Study the birds. You want to you have your mind blown and feel small? Go for a walk and look at the caterpillars and watch them move and figure out how they're defying gravity climbing up these branches. And Look at these birds picking on each other and digging for worms and pecking at the ground. And the eagles, I've got these two eagles that fly over my house almost every day, these bald eagles. And they live in the tree just outside my window here. You want to you wanna be amazed? You want to be re-centered might be the word? Like, go study the birds. Get your hands in some soil and play with some flowers. And it's not a cure for anxiety, 
but it definitely is a place that recenters yourself that actually fundamentally cures anxiety because it repositions you into a place of who you actually are, if that makes sense. And so there's a vast way, many ways, that that Jesus rolled this communication style out. Um, and I I will be the first to admit that this is not the way that is very common for us to seek and gather and distribute information in our language. But there's a diversity to Jesus's style because he had these beautiful parables like the prodigal son, right? And prodigal son, I would say, whether you're religious or not, if that story doesn't give you so much to play with and consider, then you're reading the entire thing wrong. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some really amazing teachings of Jesus that I think a lot of people would benefit from, except they'll never give it a chance because their experience with the Christ has been tainted so deeply by those who claim to follow him. And so so you look at the prodigal son, right? Um, and that's a beautiful way of, of him communicating on one hand. But then he has this other way, like this weird wordplay that he was a master at. So for instance, in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus asks a question. He says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? I mean, it feels like a riddle or like a tongue twister at best. And the correct answer, of course, is it can't. Like if, if salt loses saltiness, you can't re-inject it with salt. Um, and so it's a fairly simple answer, but it frustrates people because it really, I mean, I, I've heard this phrase of Jesus actually really freak out a lot of religious folks because I think the reason, especially religious people struggle with this, is if your whole identity is connected to being the salt of the earth and you have to come to the realization that you're no longer salty and you can't get it back, you've got a hell of a problem on your hands. And so... You know, you could try to communicate that in one way, or by asking a better question, you can let people come to their own conclusions. You can say something like, hey, so if I had some salt here and I lost it, how would I, how would I, how would I get some salt back into this? And the answer is it's not going to happen. And I've known, I've, like, I've heard messages of pastors like trying to unpack this thing a thousand ways. And it's awesome because I think it's doing the very thing Jesus wanted it to do in the sense of like everyone has interpretations and everybody's going to say that this is the way to understand this text the correct way. But for those who are actually struggling with the identity piece of this and having to come to the realization of you've lost your saltiness and it might never come back. That's a big issue. That will keep you up at night. That will stress you out. And the way that Jesus communicated also uh, leaves people with different ways of um, walking away from that information. So sometimes you have immediate and quick, narrow, single, specific answers. But then for others, you have like wide, lingering, broad, upset, and confusion. Because there's answers that are pretty self-evident, but the implications might require a lot of thought. And I think that is part of the beauty of Jesus' communication style. As you might get like, he might, 
it's almost like he takes you and puts his arm on your shoulders and turns you in the right direction and then lets you go. And it's a choose your own adventure. And he's not going to tell you, do this, do this, do this. He's going to point you into something that allows you to go uncover it. Because when you uncover something for yourself, yeah, that sticks. You're going to remember that. And Jesus puts a responsibility on the listener of his stories to make the connections, not on the teacher of the story to make those connections. And I find that interesting. You know, I'd spent most of my years working in an institutional church. And I think the thing I grew frustrated with was just like this sense of, man, I cannot go into a message. Every message I hear has like the three points where they figured out what Jesus was saying. It's just a whole wrong approach of taking it. There's a, there's a book I read years ago that talks about the way Jews would approach scripture. And they would look at it like a diamond with multifaceted edges. And they would say, if you can't approach one verse and pull 50 to 70 meanings out of it, you're not doing justice to, this, to the text. And so that's why the institutional church was like, okay, so Jesus made this statement. Here's the three things it means. It's like, nah, you've, you, are, you are projecting answers onto this text based off what you believe it to mean, which is fair because you get to have that part of the conversation. But the authoritative figure of pastors in American churches is also a position of power and authority. And so a lot of people just blindly accept what they're being told. And the way that Jesus taught was very much a choose-your-own-adventure. Or he might lead you on that way, but he also might give you enough, you know, uh, enough of a runway to go exploring on your own and figuring out what that means. And I think this is why really great Bible teachers often get a bad rap. Like one guy that I just really appreciate how he communicates, his name's Rob Bell. And he's been trashed by the church for a long time. He's been, I mean, I remember John Piper, he wrote a book uh, questioning the literalness of hell. And another Christian leader came out and said, farewell, Rob Bell. Um, I mean, he just, he just got an un- Yeah, he's got a lot of haters. And it makes me really sad because actually Rob communicates in a way that's very common in a Jewish setting, which is where Jesus came from. I was actually talking to a buddy the other day because I heard a really great podcast from Rob Bell the other day. And I was telling my buddy, gotta listen to it. It is so good uh, regarding COVID and social workers and people actually wanting to help people because they're decent humans. And my buddy just instantly said that he won't listen to Rob Bell because Rob just muddies the interpretation of scripture. And I said, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Rob is, Rob's the guy that comes in and stirs up the water and lets it get cloudy and murky. And then Irish goodbyes out the back door and lets you figure out how to see through it, which is very common to the, uh, to the Christian teachings of Jesus. So maybe guys like him, actually best represent the teaching styles and methods of the greatest teacher of all time. And maybe we need less answers and more mystery because I think the gray area actually helps us have better conversations. Maybe maybe it would force us to stop choosing sides so easily when things tend to be a lot more colorful. Um, I remember... There was a show years ago on primetime called Whose Line Is It Anyway? 
improv show. Really funny. Well done. But they used to have this game. There's four improv comics on the show. And you never knew what you were going to get. They'd have these games that were pretty standard. But even every time that they did the game, it was very different. And they used to have this one game where it was two people at a time. And you could only answer a question with a question. And when you provided an answer, you were actually kicked out. So it was like, um, you know, like one guy might say like, how are, good, good morning, how are you? I'm good, how are you? And your natural response would be, I'm good. But you'd have to answer that like with another question so that he might say like, I'm good, how are you? You might, you might say, I'm out for, you know, if I was to say, I screwed this up. I can't even do it justice. <laughs> anyway, they would just answer each other with questions. And once you answer with an answer, you kind of got kicked out. And I thought Jesus was like the OG of this wordplay. He was a master at deflection when people were ganging up with his questions, uh, which happened quite a bit. The religious people would come to him. We'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, and they start ganging up, trying to pigeonhole him. And he just, man, he was just a master at getting out of those situations. Uh, because this style actually ended up making those who questioned Jesus look like fools. Like, they were just constantly getting owned. There was a time where, uh, I mean, there's many times where Pharisees would go on a full swing attack trying to pin something on Jesus. And then he would hit him back with a few questions of his own, such as, like, authority or who gives authority. And and this group of religious leaders trying to pigeonhole him would end up being in the exact same situation they were hoping to pin Jesus in. Like he would literally change, he would flip the tables on him and go, all right, you guys want to come at me? Let me ask you a couple questions. Who gives you the authority? And then they all look like the idiots. Um, and I think it's kind of fascinating because when Jesus got tested, he found the questions that cut to the center of the argument. And to me, this is super important for us who are living in a bifurcated world today. Because it seems like our questions are getting less thoughtful. Maybe not our questions. Our conversations might be getting less thoughtful. And we, we tend to live in this world of binary thinking. You know, it's either build the wall or complete amnesty. It's either are you a Republican or Democrat? Like there's no space for in between. Are you pro, are you a pro gay marriage or anti-gay marriage? Like, like, the world is way too nuanced for this bifurcated left and right sort of binary way of thinking. And, uh, and Jesus just kept finding it. It's like, he almost forced people into that middle ground. Like he was like, this is the way we're going to do this thing. Um, so, uh, here's an instance, Mark 10 verse two, the Pharisees who are like the pompous religious leaders of the day are out to trap Jesus. They want him they would like they want him gone. He is upsetting and disrupting nearly everything that the institution held sacred. They're getting sick of him, and so they're going to go for the jugular with a question on divorce because they know divorce. This is this is going to be a topic that he's going to have to choose left or right. And they ask him, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" The Pharisees asked Jesus this, and and I want to remind you, like in first century Palestinian culture, this. It was an easy answer, but it wasn't an easy answer because we have to remember that this question was loaded because it was a, it, it was not just an emotionally sensitive topic, but it was a politically sensitive topic, much more than it is today in our culture. We have to remember this because our privilege in 21st century Western cultures, we forget that in many cultures, it's not even safe to have an opinion. 
And so this is a this is a heated topic. Like this is one of those ones where like, you know, Pharisees on one side, Jesus on the other. You know, give us your best line. The Pharisees come out with this like, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the room goes silent. And you look at the person to your left and you're like, oh, damn. Yeah. Because these folks were get ready to trick Jesus into getting a quick opinion that they could pull a little soundbite out to blast him with later. But it gets more complicated because not all the Pharisees were against Jesus. And there were two different lines of interpretation of Jewish law re- regarding divorce, right? So one group would say it's okay to divorce on the grounds of sexual unfaithfulness. And this comes from, uh, they would pull from Levitical law, um, Deuteronomy 24, they, they would bring up. They would say that, yeah, if, if your wife's unfaithful, you get to divorce her. Now, the more liberal wing of the Pharisees saw that this text was a bit more gray. They would chalk it up to like the unhappiness of a man in the marriage more than the actions of the wife, of all things. So like if a man was unhappy and feeling dishonored, yeah, you can divorce on those terms. Which is, <laughs> there's, a whole, there's a whole podcast just in that. Uh, but what they were ultimately trying to do is to figure out where Jesus would side. Would he respond more left or right on the spectrum of, of politics? And Jesus responds with a bizarre comment. He says, well, what did Moses command you? And I want to remind you, like this, sometimes he asks this question like, I know the answer. And so let me kind of press him here. Other times he didn't know the answer, right? Because again, he was fully man. So Jesus says, what did, what did Moses command you? And, and in this situation, he's not doing it because he didn't know the answers. Because he was steeped in the laws. He knew exactly what he was doing. Even at 12 years old, the Jewish leaders, or the temple leaders would say, like, man, this guy's, this kid is sharp. This kid knows the Torah. And so Jesus knew what was happening here. And the Pharisees responded, well, Moses didn't allow for divorce. And they kept rambling on about it, which was the perfect time for Jesus like a rattlesnake to strike. Because he knew that Moses' question here was not the real question. He was asking more about commands. And rather than saying, well, what did the lawgiver say about divorce? He was getting at more of the heart of like, what, like when do the scriptures say that you have to divorce somebody? Which we all know is crazy. But in answering that way, he showed that the passage that they were talking about is not at all what they thought it meant. And he shut the conversation down, stopping their arrogance in its tracks. And I think this is why Jesus was so good at suckering his audience into expecting one thing before giving them out something entirely. He knew the answer to his question that he was going for. And he let, he, he, he almost let himself get backed into a corner and he'd ask those questions and he, he knew exactly the position he was wanting to get into and rather than coming out with like, well, let me tell you, as a son of God, I would say this, 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 this. He would go, oh, what's Moses say? Oh, that is some, man, that is some wicked turnaround. <laughs> yeah, if you know what's going on there in the text. Yeah, Jesus was really good at suckering his audience into giving, giving them exactly what they want. I would say here too, side note, uh, probably best not to ask Jesus any questions unless you're sure that you want uh, to be cut to the center by him. Like, if you think you're going to get away with like, I got one that's going to one-up him, 
yeah, simmer down, young buck. He's gonna he's striking at the center. <laughs> so ask Jesus questions only only that you want answers to. Because those who brought up the topic or a subject to test him or to justify themselves found Jesus to be capable of not only dealing with the subject at hand, but turning the whole test around and converting self-justification into actual soul-searching. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He's just saying, like, let me give you the mic long enough to to, to let you hang yourself, and I'm going to cut through it and show you that this thing's so much bigger than the little perspective of which you're asking your measly little question from. Yeah, expert communication there. So I would say to sum it up, uh, Jesus is the best kind of teacher because we don't need answers force-fed down our throats. We were given a mind to think. We were given logic and res- rhetoric and reasoning to make sense of things, to wrestle, to, to find their limitations, to find what they butt up against. And when we have answers force-fed down our throats, we, you know, we have all lived through that. We know what it's like. We know how that ends up. Some people love that. Some people are the rule keepers, and they just want to be told what to do, and they will stand in line, and they will get their question answered exactly how they think it should be, and then they will march to the orders of that. But that's, not, that's not what Jesus was interested in, in the way he communicated. In fact, like we said, 183 questions answered or asked of him, and he answered three, which means he was after something a lot bigger than just just being a, a data mind to give out answers or his thoughts and opinions on things. Jesus taunted people to take stands and to become everything they could be, and that's the type of teacher that I want to follow, one that has a heart to learn, one that desires to truly build up others, make others seem more important, give others a platform, give others a voice. Because when you give others a platform, you'll always have one for yourself. Yeah. So maybe that's something we learn about Jesus and his communication styles is maybe we, we enter the world with more wonder or curiosity. Maybe the things that we have such solid conclusions on, maybe it'd be, it'd be worth our while to have them reframed and and thrown back in our face to force us to consider where we might have grown stale in our search for the truth. Maybe if we became people that asked better questions, more compassionate questions, maybe some of the uh, relational divides, those rifts between people that are not like you, that you think are gross or sinful or whatever it might be, maybe you find compassion because you learn something about them. And um, maybe it maybe it reminds us that we don't know it all, and that's okay. And the important thing, the the best path to learning is by is by seeking out to to actually understand one another, to come in with less opinions, to come in with less offense, to has, to stop having to be so offended by the way somebody said something or the word they used or their tone. And instead to maintain the posture of humility and say, I want to enter this conversation to learn. Teach me. Because what that ultimately does too is that puts you in a place of humility. 
it like strips you and rids you of arrogance and thinking you know the best part of that conversation that you have it all figured out and i think that's something i know i could learn from i look at my culture here and i go man we could all do better if we just shut up a bit more and honestly sought to hear the other side of the story or another side of the story not the other side of the story because it's not like there's two sides but maybe we subject ourselves to a humble learning spirit where we can actually grow in compassion for people that have different opinions, that see the world differently because their worlds are just as complex as ours, yet somehow in their framework, even though we're at polar opposite sides of maybe a spectrum or have very different opinions on a certain topic, it's not because they just have some weird belief system. It makes sense in the world that they come from. And so, um, yeah... We notice that a lot in the politics during COVID, haven't we? We've seen a regime change in D.C. Some would call our last president the Antichrist. Some would call him the Savior. Some call Biden the Savior here. Some call him the Antichrist. And it's usually the people that called Trump the Antichrist would call, you know, Biden the Savior and vice versa. But... um it's interesting, like, man, who's going to have the answers? Well, it wasn't the one party. It's got to be the other. Time for a change. Yeah, it's not going to be a 180 change because there's many sides. It's a lot more than two. And so, um, yeah, my, exer- my, uh, my exhortation, my encouragement to us is that we enter the world as seekers and learners and listeners, people that desire great conversation, people that are not offended when somebody doesn't support us or our view system, but actually uh, causes people like us to become more curious and say, teach me more about that and willing to learn. Yeah, the world might be a lot more beautiful if we entered it this way. That's my hope. All right, I've taken up enough of your time. It's been a year. But I promise I will be back very, very soon. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't yet to this podcast so you get notifications on when I'm talking. Have a good day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.